you didn't read my email in 2013, 14, 15, <laughs> 16, 17, 18, 19, and 20 yeah. telling you to get in here and change it. Yeah. Amend your trust and get rid of the AB language. So that's critical to anyone who did a trust before 2000 it's called an ab trust it's called a bypass trust a it's survivor's trust survivor's yeah. trust if you have any of that you need to talk to your attorney or talk to mark Welcome to Buy Sci-Fi Bite-Sized Finance. I'm Kelly Brothers. I'll be your host serving up some of the most succulent stories from our region about people, places, and things that impact our community and your financial well-being. Our goal is to learn, think, and even laugh a little bit. Delivered right to your kitchen table, your dining room, or wherever you choose to listen. Joined today by the one and only Mark Drobny. Mark, great to see you. Mark, for those of you who don't know, is one of the preeminent estate and tax attorneys in town. He's the founder of Drobny Law Offices with offices, main office in Sacramento, but down the valley, in the Bay Area, down to San Diego. Mark, how has COVID been for Drobny Law Offices? It's been a learning experience. I've, ne I've been doing this for 40 years. I've never seen so many people finally get off the chair and say, I got to plan my estate. The first couple months of COVID where we were looking at maybe one or two million Americans might die. Yeah. And we all were afraid to touch anything metal or do anything. There are a lot of people understandably concerned that I need to get my estate in order. And they wanted to get it done yesterday. And an inordinate number of our clients who'd done estate plans, who wanted to do a little fine tuning and change things. And we, we've done our best to adapt to that. We've kept up with the demand and we've actually grown our staff. We've added an attorney. We've added three staff people to accommodate the demand because I, I don't think it's going to go down. I think it's just helped people become aware of the need to properly plan their estate. Amazing what a little taste of mortality will do, right? In terms of getting you to uh, act and not to mention the fact that a lot of people in March and April, Mark, I mean, they had time on their hands. There was had, nothing else going on. They sure did have a lot of time. And yeah. so, you know, once you're done watching everything on Netflix, you need to start <laughs> looking at what else you can do. And Zoom, you know, technology, there are certain things that have done well in COVID. You know, Peloton's been a great investment. Zoom is yeah. a great investment. Amazon is a great investment. And and uh, I'm Mr. Low-Tech. I, I would have never considered using Zoom but it became a necessary tool to our practice and being able to keep in touch with people when we couldn't have people in the office. It was phenomenal how we were able to pivot and use Zoom. And now I do a lot of public speaking. I haven't done a seminar live since February and I'm doing one or two webinars on Zoom a week and we're actually reaching more people that way than we ever did before. And we don't have to deal with the logistics of renting a room and, yeah. and uh, getting, oh, renting all the equipment. Efficient. And I can do a webinar in San Diego from my office in Sacramento. It's, yeah. it's great. So let's talk about estate planning then, because this is, this is a podcast which is very topical to the moment. And that is the fourth quarter of 2020, an election on the horizon we don't know how it's going to turn out, but we know there's going to be about seven weeks there where people will be able to make decisions that they won't be able to make necessarily be able to make in January of 2021. So if let's just start with if I am a 
if you have a husband and wife or two spouses sitting together in front of you and they say, what should we be thinking about as we head toward this election and what may change? What are you telling them? Well, my partner, Ann Rosenthal, who does the advanced estate planning with me, the two of us are getting an, an inordinate number of calls from people who are panicking about if Biden wins and if the Democrats take control of the Senate, the exemption for federal estate tax is going to drop from $11.58 million to a couple million. And it's like the estate and gift taxes are connected. It's the estate and gift tax. Mm -hmm. You can give that $11.58 million away when you die, or you can give away that $11.58 million while you're alive, or any combination of the two. So we are now in a use it or lose it mode. Our high net worth people are saying, if I don't give it away, I can get today, I can give away 11.58 million, but maybe by next year, I'm only going to be able to give away two or 3 million. So I need to give it away before it goes away. So we are in a massive use it or lose it. We're, we're, we're fielding calls constantly from people who are, are wanting to look at what do we need to do? And my answer to them is let's at least have plan B that if that happens, we do have a plan to implement because if that regime change takes place, it's not going to happen in November as far as what the tax laws changes no. will be. Sure. Tax law changes that the, the House and the Senate don't get sworn in until the early January. The president doesn't get sworn in until like January 20th. And then whatever they are going to do can only be retroactive to January 1st of that year. So we have until December 31st to deal with this. But I can tell you no vacations at Drobny Law offices <laughs> are being allowed from now to the end of the year. It's uh, all hands on deck and we need to be ready to move if that happens. And of course, as you point out, it's not just the presidential race that has importance, it's the Senate races as well. And because, you know, gridlock would be something very different entirely. But obviously, as you point out, if a Democrat wins the White House and has control of the House and the Senate, Wow, there's almost a blank check there in terms of changing tax code. Well, we can talk later about that, but look what happens in California when that happens. Yeah. So that's a worst case scenario. Do I think it's really going to happen? Even if the Democrats take control of the House, the Senate, and the White House, I'm not convinced that it's going to happen. Okay. Um, well, so that's why I want to have plan A and plan B right. for my clients. So you mentioned the fact nothing would happen till next year anyway. But if someone was concerned about it, you're talking about 11 point. So for a couple, they have $23 million, right, that they can either give away or die and leave to their heirs that would not be subject to a state tax, correct? That is correct. And what if that $23 million per couple or 11.6, we're going to round off the numbers here, 11.6, what if that dropped to $3 million per person? And let's, let's and also remind everyone... What the estate tax is above those thresholds? 40%. 40%. So every dollar you own above that amount that you don't protect in some other way, 40% would go to the government. Right. Now, there was an, an even older candidate running for president, okay, yeah. who was proposing that that $11.6 million exemption be dropped to like one or two million and that the estate taxes be increased from 40% to 70%. Okay. <laughs> so that's not happened. So let's, and here's the other thing though, give us some context because this is not the first time you've seen that when you go back to, let's say the year 2010 and what happened then. The Bush tax cut started in 2001. 
income taxes, uh, deductions against income tax were favorable, and the estate tax exemption was going to be increasing from $675,000 gradually over that 10 years to $3.5 million. And then in 2010, that the last year of the Bush tax cuts, there was going to be no estate tax, zero. And the thought being that maybe that'll go on past that. But there is a rule that if there's going to be a reduction in taxes without any reduction in spending, there's a cap. It can only go 10 years. And that law has to expire at the end of 10 years, and then they can reformat what's going to happen. So the, the Bush tax cuts in 2010 provided that George Steinbrenner died owning the New York Yankees yeah. and the stadium, which I think had just been rebuilt. His kids inherited that and paid $0 in federal estate taxes. He picked the perfect year to die. There's a story about a, a billionaire down in Texas who was on his deathbed in 2009, where the exemption was $3.5 million, and he was worth several billion dollars. And his kids put him on life support and said, keep him on there until 2010. <laughs> And then, then he died in 2010, and poof, yeah. no estate tax. So yeah. they were more than happy to pay for the life support for a couple of months. Yeah, That was one case. We were all hands on deck at the end of 2010 because we were afraid the unlimited exemption against estate taxes was going to drop to $3 million or 3 or something. And so we had a whole bunch of our clients use it or lose it gift those assets in one. There's a lot of options on how you would gift it, but get it out of your estate, give it to your kids or set up a trust for your kids, set up a family limited partnership, do something, but get those assets out of your estate before you can't anymore. Right. And so we had tons and tons of people doing that. And then January of 2011, Congress goes, ah, we were just joking. We weren't really going to do that. And the exemption went back to three and a half and worked its way up to 5 million. So all these people who did it, now I've got to take a look at, okay, maybe I shouldn't have pulled the trigger. And because because those, of, those are often, those gifts are irrevocable, so to speak. They right? have to be, yeah. it has to be a complete sure. transfer. So the problem when I give an appreciated asset to my kids or my grandson is that my cost basis carries over on a gift. So if clients are taking the highly appreciated real estate or securities or business interests and giving it to their kids in some form or another, their low cost basis carries over. And now the kids have inherited the capital gain. Right. So right. maybe we would have been better because Section 1014 of the Internal Revenue Code says if you keep it until you die, your cost basis gets a step up to the date of death value. And let, just so everyone understands a step up in basis, if you buy Starbucks stock at $10 a share and 20 years later, it's $2,000 a share. Obviously, if you sell that the day before you die, there's a big capital gain there on the gain. But if you die, the basis, which you get worth on the day up, you die, goes the, up to that 2000 So the tax liability disappears. Push the delete button on the capital gains on the day you die. Right. Yes. So then fast forward to 2013. Congress kind of kicked the can down the road until after the 2012 election. They didn't want to take a position on the tax cuts or, or anything until after the election. So then in 2013, we're looking at use it or lose it again. And we had a lot of people, again, gifting, 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 because the exemption might be dropping to a million dollars. And it didn't. It went to five. Yeah. And then it adjusted with inflation. And then Trump came along and raised it to 11. And now it's 11.58 million. So if those laws were to stay the same... And if a client has less than $11 million or a couple has less than $23 million, keep it. Don't give it away until you die. And then there's a step up in basis. The capital gains are gone and there's no estate tax. So the key is 
and I wouldn't be sitting here doing this podcast with you if I knew the answer. You'd be reading my book, and I'd be on the beach. Yeah. But what's going to happen? Is the exemption going to go down or not? In my 40 years as a lawyer and in reading from everything that goes back to the 1954 tax code, the exemption has never gone down, ever, not even once. Federal estate taxes account for one-tenth of 1% 1 of the federal budget. Yeah. So even if they increased estate taxes by 1,000%, it would still only account for 1% of the federal budget. So when they're printing money here right now with all the other issues going on with our world, how are they going to pay that money back? It's not going to be with the estate taxes. Yeah. This is about social engineering. It's not about revenue. So what is the proper thing to do while you wait for the election? What do you tell people? I mean, is it basically making sure you know where your assets are, you know how they're valued? And I'm sure there are businesses where the valuation this year might be far different than it was last year, and therefore gifting or sales might be kind of part of that estate plan that wasn't available six months ago. Yeah, the silver lining in COVID is valuation. If we're looking at transferring wealth from one generation to the next, valuation is the key to making that work. I can take a look at, you know, if, if I've got a business that is, has been dramatically impacted by COVID, I've got one client who is in the restaurant business and he's, all of his restaurants have been shut down since mid-March. He has no revenue coming in. If you do the valuation of his business right now, it's way significantly lower than it was a year ago. So if he takes that, hey, get an appraisal. Give me the worst possible news. Tell me how bad this really is and what my business is really worth. Well, then we're going to take that value and then we can either give it to the kids or better yet, maybe set up some kind of like a limited partnership where I put it into a limited partnership. Then I gift my kids the limited partnership shares and I retain the managing general partner shares. So I've still got control. I passed the wealth on to them, but I still have control. I still get a fee for managing it. And I'm transferring it to them at a value that's what's COVID low. When the value recovers and the restaurants reopen and the value goes up, all that wealth is transferred outside of my client's estate. It's not his. Yeah. He transferred that wealth and he still retained control. But maybe a better way without even using part of his $11.6 million exemption is how about a sale? Get the property appraised very low and then sell it to my kids or a trust for the benefit of my kids. The Internal Revenue Service says if you're selling it to your family, you have to charge interest on that loan. But it's based on the AFR, and the AFR currently is 1.12%. So That's a low I, interest loan. So I can sell that depreciated asset at its low value right now to a trust for the benefit of my kids and my grandkids, and I can take back a loan, and they only have to pay me 1.12% interest on it? Yeah. And then when that value recovers, all that growth took place outside of my estate. Yeah. It's a wonderful And you're still thing. in control. So the, the good news, the silver lining in the COVID cloud is valuation and interest rates. Okay. And doing the planning right, you can really transfer wealth with little or no tax impact. All right. So, Mark, we've talked a lot about federal. How concerned are you about the folks under the Capitol Dome, and what they might do. I mean, they, they've been talking about a wealth tax. They've been talking about a 10-year look back. We've already done a podcast on how people are leaving California. I'm sure you're seeing that too. I've never seen so many of my clients talking about leaving, and they're serious about leaving. Yeah. It is the politics, and it's the taxes. 
But, you know, the good news is the wealth tax didn't pass. And that was even after, you know, I believe the Republican caucus had somebody with COVID. And so all 11 lawmakers that were Republicans were not allowed under the dome when they voted on the wealth tax. And it still didn't pass. Yeah. So that that's good news. And right. I think that you got to take a look at how many wealthy people that are going to have to pay that extra 4 or 5% on their wealth are going to stay. It seems like every one of my clients who sells their business, they moved to Nevada or Texas or Florida before they sell the business. And then look at how much they've saved in state taxes. Yeah. And then if you're talking about a 10-year look back, how, how can you do that? I don't you're, know. I don't even know how it even comes up as a legitimate option for the state because it doesn't seem to me like it would be constitutional, but I'm not a lawyer. Years ago, PERS took a position that if you worked for the state of California and you put your 30 or whatever years in and you earned your pension with PERS and then you retire and you move out of state to a state that pays no income tax, charges no income taxes, they took the position that you earned the money here in California. So we don't care where you go to spend the money. You earned it here. You will be taxed here. It went all the way up on appeal to the Supreme Court and the court said no. Okay, income is taxed when it's received, not when it's earned. So I think that we have a precedent there. I think, you know, it's great to talk about it, but there's other ways to balance the budget besides generating income. Yeah. So if you haven't looked at or touched your estate plan, let's say you did a will and trust in 2007 or pick a year. I mean, how far back do you have to go before you're like, you should be, you should be seeing someone and talking to them because the law has changed enough that you may be at a disadvantage. The magic number, I think for if you're married and you did a trust before 2013 and you have not seen your attorney or an attorney since 2013, you need to like on your to-do list tomorrow, call and get in. Because any married couple who did their estate plan between 1981 and 2012 has probably 99% probability of having an AB trust. This says when the first spouse dies, the surviving spouse shall divide the trust into the bypass trust and the survivor's trust. That requires everything getting appraised for a fee. It requires legal fees to set up the two trusts. It requires giving everybody named in the document a copy of the trust after the first death, which creates great drama in some families and situations when they see what it said before the second parent dies. You got to give disclosure. You got to give transparency. Then you got to get separate ID numbers for each trust. You have to file a separate tax return for each trust. And you have to give every beneficiary named in the trust and accounting every single year for the rest of your life what you're doing with your deceased spouse's portion of the estate. Oh. But the benefit was you would each get the greatest amount that would pass tax-free. You could double the exemption. Well, in 2013, Congress said, this is ridiculous. Oh, we're not making any money on this. Everybody's got an AB trust. And the only people making money are the appraisers and the attorneys and the accountants. And who likes them? No, right? I don't know. So they came up with a new rule called portability. Your estate tax exemption is portable to your spouse by checking one box on the return the year after you die, and you can add your current $11.58 million to your spouse's $11.58 million, and the surviving spouse currently can shelter $23 million without doing an AB trust. But we have, I meet with somebody almost every day who has a pre-2013 trust, and they've Which lost- Which cost them a lot of money. And they've lost their spouse- yeah. And the trust says, upon the first death, you shall divide the trust. Oh, I got you. And I have to tell them now we're going to have to go through all of this for 
absolutely no reason other than the fact that you didn't read my email in 2013, 14, 15, 16, <laughs> 17, 18, 19, and 20 yeah. telling you to get in here and change it. Yeah. Amend your trust and get rid of the AB language. So that's critical to anyone who did a trust before 2000. It's called an AB trust. It's called a bypass trust. It's survivor's trust. Survivor's yeah. trust. If you have any of that, you need to talk to your attorney or talk to Mark. Right. All right. Back to potentially President Biden, if he were to win in November, he has talked about getting rid of what is known as the step up in basis. What I does that mean? What are the chances that'll happen? I think that's one thing that we're not seeing very many people talk about, and it could have devastating consequences. Currently, as we talked about earlier, when somebody dies, their cost basis in everything, everything, stocks, bonds, mutual funds, real estate, everything gets a step up to the day-to-death value and all the capital gains are washed away. There's no cap on step up, except for in 2010 when there was no estate tax, then it was a million, but that's the only time it's ever been that way. Biden is talking about taking step up away from everybody except for the first $100,000. So when somebody dies, the family gets to pick $100,000 worth of assets that will get a step up, and everything else doesn't get a step up. So essentially, the kids are going to, quote, inherit the capital gain. There would be no step up. That's devastating. Yeah. Do you think... Now, you can generate a lot more revenue with capital gains than you could by raising the estate tax. I got you. Is there a gifting strategy that somehow circumvents that? Die. That's <laughs> no. the only way? That's the only way. Huh? That would be the only okay. way until we all get together at a conference and figure out what other but, I mean, exceptions to the rule there might be. Even folks with a very modest balance sheet, if there's a mom and dad who paid 250000 for their house 30 years ago, which would have been a big house back then, and now it's worth a million and a half, and you're going to be able to basically protect 100000 of that? And the well, rest is going to be taxed? During an election, talk is cheap. How many planks in a platform ever really become the law? Yeah. And, you know, when you're trying to pull somebody over to your side, there's things that you might say that have appeal that really aren't ever going to happen. I think that reasonably, at some point, if the estate tax exemption is $11 million, then maybe there should be a cap on step up at $11 million. Okay, the whole reason Step Up ever came into existence was as a way for the heirs who have to sell something to pay the estate tax. It wouldn't be fair for them to sell something, pay the capital gains tax, take what's left and use it to pay the estate tax. They wouldn't have anything left. Yeah. So Step Up came into existence to allow them the ability to liquidate an appreciated asset, pay no capital gains tax with the Step Up and then use it to pay the estate tax. So if I'm going to take the estate tax away, why would I take the step up away? I mean, it's it's you got they're to do con- one. They're, yeah, they're they're connected. They're two sides of the same right. coin, basically, right? And and that's where if you drop the exemption to three million or five million, then maybe you would drop step up to that three or five million dollar threshold. Yeah, and I, you know, and I agree. It's you know a lot. Of talk is cheap during election season, but I also look at our country's finances and think how are they going to pay for all this yeah we're printing five trillion dollars in money this year and how, how does that get paid for eventually and it eventually it has to come through the tax system somehow at least a big chunk of it so let's talk about you for just a moment because we always like to touch on exactly how you got started in the business you were a student at mcgeorge school of law mark right back in 1977 through 1981 yeah and you were 
on track to hopefully your dream was to become a criminal defense attorney. It was. And what happened? I clerked on a death penalty case my second year of law school, and I learned a lot. It was a relatively significant case at the time where the, the concept of diminished capacity of the person who murdered his wife and son was a Vietnam veteran. And there was kind of a emerging concept called post-traumatic stress syndrome as a way to say that he had diminished capacity. And I clerked on that trial and learned a lot. But also my boss was pointing out that un- unlike on Perry Mason, most of my clients probably did it, you know. And so there's, there's no twin brother alibi in a lot of these cases. And, and there's some pretty gruesome people that you're dealing with as a criminal defense attorney. Is that who you want to be hanging out with every day? So at the same time, I had to take a tax class at McGeorge. And I really asked the dean if there's any way I could not take it because I wasn't going to need it. And he told me it was a required class. So I took it. The teacher's enthusiasm was so contagious that I just got it. And it's like being a tax attorney is kind of fun. I mean, you just find the rule, find the exception, and your client doesn't pay any taxes, and the only person who loses is the IRS. What an honorable job, okay? <laughs> and uh, so You're doing a public ser- You're doing I'm, the Lord's work. <laughs> I, I am, yeah, I'm serving a greater cause. So then I didn't have to. It was an elective. I took tax two, and then I took estate planning, and then I enjoyed it so much that I stayed at McGeorge, and after getting my JD, I got an LLM or Master's of Law in tax. How do young kids know what they want to do the rest of their life? Just and, dumb luck sometimes. Huh? And, you know, committing to something too early, yeah. you may end up in a profession that you're just miserable in. And I love what I'm doing. I have clients every day go, so when are you retiring? Or I heard you're retiring. And it's like, I don't know what I would do. You know, I, I like this. I can help people every day plan their estate. I can help people walk through the loss of a loved one and help them on the legal side. And I, I can go home every day and say, I did something really good for somebody. So I don't golf. I don't have a motorcycle. You know, I don't have a boat. And my wife, some nice cars though. I've seen I have a couple nice but, cars. And my wife retired a couple of years ago and she's said, you know, you're not coming home and ruining my peace and tranquility yeah. by coming home every day with your, get to work with your to-do list. Okay. <laughs> so, so what advice would you give a young Mark Drobny today? Give it, I mean, if you go back to law school, what do you know today that you'd like to warn yourself about back then? Don't commit too early. Take as many classes and electives and take a sample of all the things that are out there yeah. and take a look at what really grabs you. There's way too many people in the world who hate their jobs. And it's because they got put into a little tunnel and they just went down that path and they don't have any other marketable skills, so they're stuck. So before you make that commitment, shop around, take a look at everything and find something that you may have never imagined. Like for me, I never thought I was going to be a a state and tax attorney. Sounded pretty boring, but you know, we have a contest in our office every week called you can't make this blank up because when you're writing, (laughs) when you're writing, there are great stories. There are uh, on estates. It just, it's some of the crazy stuff. Family dynamics. Oh my God. If I ever retire, I'm going to do a Netflix series. And I think I've got enough material for about 10 seasons. Oh, you do. No, you absolutely do. Mark. No, I, and I don't mind telling folks, uh, my wife, Augusta and I used Mark when we did our first will and trust and 
And I remember, Mark, that we I think we had two young kids at the time, and my mom was going to watch them, and we decided we were going to Hawaii for about five days. It was our first getaway in years, and we realized we had nothing in place. And we came running into you, and you got it done in about three days. And uh, But when should people begin the process of, if not estate planning, but at least getting things set so that you're protected and your family's protected on your behalf. You are a perfect example of it is amazing how many people are motivated to do an estate plan when they're about to get on an airplane. Yeah. It, it is. Uh, that is kind of why we're conveniently located near the airport, our offices. <laughs> so you can just like <laughs> stop in and sign your estate plan and hit the road. I think basic estate planning starts with everybody over the age of 18 should have an advanced healthcare directive. When you send your kids away to college, in addition to everything else you're sending them with, you got to have an advanced health care directive. My son was in an accident his second year of, of college, and if he didn't have an advanced directive, I would have had no access to information that night, would have had no authority to make decisions. So when you send your kids away to college, you know, we have a policy. If your kid turns 18, we'll do their health care directive for free. Because of my personal experience with my son, I learned that that's what needs to be done. No, it's a smart. Uh, when you bring a child into this world, you need to do a will. Who's going to be the guardian? Do you want a family feud over who would take care of your children in the unlikely event of your demise? No. Do a will, and you've made that commitment. Do that. Yeah. Once you buy a home, it's time to do a basic living trust. Once you hit $11 million, it's time to do some advanced planning and talk to my partner, Ann, and me, and we'll yeah. be happy to help you. We, we can zero out the estate tax way above that $11 million with some of the tools we have. Yeah. So even if Congress raised or the president dropped it to five or six, we still have tools that we can use. Sure. And that's the key. Mark, thanks so much for your time. This has been great. Thanks for Anyone having me. Anyone who wants to find you can find him easily on the internet. Mark Drobny Law Offices. And I'm sure that his office will be pumping out a lot of great information through election season as uh, we all try to make good decisions before the end of the year. We're launching our new website in a few weeks. So it'll have all the same content, but it'll be much easier to navigate and read. Yeah. Mark, can't thank you enough. Thanks, Kelly. Continued thanks success. Me. All right. Thanks for listening to Buy Sci-Fi, Bite Size Finance. The program is supported in part by Genevieve Burford and Brothers. If you liked what we served up today, please give us your ratings, subscribe, and by all means, share. Music for the show, produced locally by Kitty O'Neill and her band, Skylar's Pool. Securities offered through Royal Alliance Associates, Inc., member FINRA SIPC. Investment advisory services offered through Genevieve Burford and Brothers Wealth and Retirement Plan Management, LLC. Royal Alliance Associates is separately owned, and products or services referenced here are independent of Royal Alliance Associates. The discussions and opinions expressed are intended for informational purposes only and do not constitute solicitation, investment advice, or recommendation. Neither Genevieve's Burford & Brothers nor Royal Alliance Associates offer tax or legal services. <laughs>